You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, uh, one of three volumes in that volume, I guess you could say, by Rudolf Steiner, from the Esoteric School, Esoteric Lessons, 1904 to 1909, translated by James H. Hines. This is Lecture 4, given in Berlin on March 14, 1904. To begin with, I would like to remark that you should not underestimate the mood in which a human being should place him or herself in order to have the proper relationship to the universe. For those who are not yet on the path of knowledge, this mood may appear not to have any deeper significance, but it does. For this reason, all religions have attempted to educate people through prayer to this mood, and the prayers given by esotericists have no other meaning. In order that you properly appreciate the significance of such a mood with respect to the universe, I would like to show you that it is not only those who seek to advance in regard to their inner life that benefit from such a mood. Also, Those who wish to advance in their knowledge of the external world find that their way has been facilitated by such moods. In our materialistic age, there are many truly erroneous opinions concerning the great discoverers and original thinkers in scientific fields, especially among those interested in science There are many who believe from the outset that the sciences lead to a loss of faith, to denial of a spiritual world. For this reason, today I would like to tell you about the inner soul mood of a great spirit, whose name I will reveal to you only after I have read a few of his statements. For these statements show how he arrived at the great discoveries that have become a real blessing for the modern age. He came to these discoveries because he had an intimate relationship with the spirit that flows through the entire universe. He said, It is true that the divine call, which humans refer to as learning astronomy, is itself written in the world, not, of course, in words and syllables, but in the matter itself by means of the appropriateness of human concepts and understanding to the connections between the heavenly bodies and their states. A hidden destiny drives one person to this, another person to that profession, so that they become convinced that they, as part of the work of creation, are also under the direction of divine providence. Close quote, Steiner again. Another sentence from the same man. It's rather a long quote, I will say. Quote, As regards that which I prophesied five and twenty years ago, finally I say I brought it to light and found it to be truer than I had even hoped, 
and I discovered among the celestial movements the full nature of harmony in its due measure, together with all its parts unfolded in Book Three, not in that mode wherein I had conceived it in my mind, this is not last in my joy, but in a very different mode, which is also very excellent and very perfect. There took place in this intervening time wherein the very laborious reconstruction of the movements held me in suspense, an extraordinary augmentation of my desire and incentive for the job, a reading of the harmonies by Ptolemy. There, beyond my expectations and with the greatest wonder, I found approximately the whole third book given over to the same consideration of celestial harmony fifteen hundred years ago. But indeed astronomy was far from being of age yet. But both the crudeness of the ancient philosophy and this exact agreement in our meditations down to the last hair over an interval of fifteen centuries greatly strengthened me in getting on with the job. For what need is there of many men? The very nature of things, in order to reveal herself to mankind, was at work in the different interpreters of different ages and was the finger of God, to use the Hebrew expression. And here, in the minds of two men who had wholly given themselves up to the contemplation of nature, there was the same conception as to the configuration of the world although neither had been the other's guide in taking this route. But now, since the first light eight months ago, since broad day three months ago, since the sun of my wonderful speculation has shone fully a few days ago, nothing holds me back. Close quote. These words were written by the great astronomer Johannes Kepler, who was the first to explain to human beings, how the planets move, the paths of their orbits. From this you can see that true science has nothing to do with unbelief in the spirit. And those who, on the basis of discoveries such as were made by Kepler, Copernicus, Galileo, and others, would want to claim that the world is not flooded with spirit, that a spiritual view of the world has been overcome, such people would be assuming a strange position. For the harmony of the universe was revealed to those like Kepler, who made the great discoveries of natural science out of this devotional mood. To start with, we need to raise ourselves up to the recognition that the personality of the human being is not yet its true self. Rather, this true self toward which we must strive, is something that must be developed in us more and more through many incarnations. Goethe thinks this too when he says, quote, Whoever strives with all his power, we are allowed to save. And if, besides supernal love, responded to his plight, the blessed host comes from above to greet him in delight. Close quote. And with the expression grace, Christ meant nothing other than buddhi, which descends and draws ourself up to itself. 
buddhi is grace. And this ongoing striving toward the fields which the theosophist calls the plane, the level of buddhi, the plane of blessedness, is what brings us knowledge. And all those who truly know, who have achieved knowledge, who had knowledge, are aware of having come from nature to grace and from there to glory. And that was the prayer of Kepler. When he felt the entire significance of his discovery, he was not the arrogant scholar who says, I have now discovered this. Rather, Kepler's attitude was the mood from which his great discovery was born. And this mood was as follows. Quote, O thou, who dost by the light of nature promote in us the desire for the light of grace, that by its means thou mayest transport me with thy makings, and in the works of thy hands have I exulted. Behold, now I have completed the work of my profession, having employed as much power of mind as thou didst give me. To the men who are going to read those demonstrations, I have made manifest the glory of thy works, as much of its infinity as the narrows of my intellect could apprehend. If there is anything unworthy of thy designs brought forth by me, or if I have loved my own glory among men, while I am advancing in the work destined for thy glory, be gentle and merciful and pardon me. Close quote. The human soul is often called an image of the divine being. Meditating on this picture makes it clear that our essential being is not located in us, but rather outside that our higher self is external to us and we can only mirror it. But then we also realize that we participate in our higher self, participate in our higher being. That the pictures employed by theosophists are not arbitrary. This can be proven by another of Kepler's statements about the soul that fully agrees with the theosophical truth concerning the soul. Quote, Concerning the soul, my thoughts are approximately as follows. It is like a mirror that reflects the sun. If one ceases to experience it in the sensuous world, nevertheless, it does not cease existing. Close quote. Kepler said what he had heard from the Spirit who spoke to him. I cite this here in order to show how a devotional mood must be considered in everything. No one can attain to higher knowledge but those who at first believe and then call upon themselves to ascend to knowledge. Those who know that with every thought we allow a spiritual flow into us, who are aware of that, they receive as a consequence the gift of higher knowledge. Those who know that higher knowledge is a form of communion also know that it is nothing other than what is symbolized in the sacrament of Holy Communion. As holy, as great as this is to comprehend, 
It should be thought of as union with the spirit of the world. Those who feel themselves to be unworthy, well, they must simply push through, must make themselves worthy and capable of this knowledge. The mood or attitude of devotion is something that works wonders in this area. Those who do not even know the mood of condemnation are on the right track. Youth usually makes the mistake of judging too soon when it says, based on my knowledge, this is my point of view. A young person must receive knowledge with reverence and respect. There is a difference between someone who criticizes from youth on and someone who listens with devotion. The Talmud lists seven characteristics for those who want to become wise. One, they do not speak first when someone greater than them is present. Number two, they do not interrupt anyone. Number three, they do not answer precipitously before they have thought. Number four, they ask and answer objectively. Number five, They deal with one thing after another according to priority. This fifth rule is a golden rule for the present. Attend hundreds of gatherings in our time and see if you can find in them that matters are dealt with in proper order. Continue quote number six. Concerning things they do not know, they admit, I do not know. Number seven. They admit their error when they think they have committed one. Close quote, Steiner again. Those may appear to be very trivial rules of life, but are enormously important because they stimulate reverence for knowledge. And that is what brings about more for spiritual knowledge than anything else. One needs to have experienced how different the auras are of young people who have this reverential attitude from those young people who do not. A clairvoyant can distinguish very clearly if someone sitting in an auditorium, let us say, is listening with genuine reverence. For such a person will have blue and violet rays and currents in his or her aura. And then, too, one can clearly distinguish those listeners namely in a group of students they are frequently to be found, who already, at twenty years of age, cherish their own thoughts and also express them. Quote, this is my point of view, this seems right to me, that that seems false. Close quote. On the other hand, there are young people who reach for the door handle of a great personage only with a holy sense of awe. These young people achieve the very highest and come the furthest, in higher knowledge. And then, too, it is of importance that we maintain order in our sequence of thought. The following words from title Light on the Path appear to contain a contradiction, but those who wish to advance must live with it. They must keep two opposing thoughts in mind. Number nine, desire only that which is within you. Number ten, desire only that which is beyond you. Close quote. You will ask yourself perhaps, quote, do I need both of these sentences and, and to what end? Close quote. Yes, indeed, we need both of them. 
And we want to clarify both sentences because control of one's thinking is to be found therein. We must practice them so that we do not grasp a truth in a one-sided way, but rather observe the world from all sides. Let us first consider the sentence, Desire only that which is within you. And then the second sentence, the second thought, Desire only that which is beyond you. Life alternates between good and evil, between beauty and ugliness, and so forth. Those are things that always contradict one another. However, we will only get to know the life of the Spirit if we do not allow ourselves to get stuck in the details. We must not simply be rebuffed by the contradictions, but realize that these contradictions signify life. In this way we are practicing thought control, so that we are constantly clear that when we have grasped the thought we must immediately seek the other that corresponds to it, a thought that is related to the first one as hunger is to satiety. In this way one side of a thought is supplemented by the other side, just as light and shadow, positive and negative, complete one another. Thus thoughts must unfold within us in a strictly ordered way. Let us note the rule. To every thought, add the opposite. Those who observe this will gradually come to live in a living spirituality. They will live a spiritual life that is higher than the sensuous life. When we have attained a step, we must be clear that a yet higher stage lies above us. All that we can now achieve is nothing more than lowly steps compared with what must still be achieved. It was not without good reason that Christian wisdom said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God will say to those who come to him in love. The tenth thought in light on the path, desire only that which is beyond you, is controlled by the eleventh, quote, Desire only that which is unattainable. The author of Light on the Path wrote under the influence of a highly developed master. Light on the Path is inspired by a Western master who very carefully dictated every sentence into the pen. The one who wrote the book was only the transcriber, a writing medium. The meaning of this sentence, quote, desire only that which is unattainable, close quote, is also expressed by Goethe at the height of his knowledge. Quote, I praise only someone who desires the unattainable, close quote. What is most important is not that we understand these three sentences, that we are in a position to intellectually clarify what they mean. It is much more important to begin the day with three such sentences, regardless of how they are understood. If we begin, for example, with the sentence, desire only that which is unattainable, it will become an inner power for those who live with the sentence. It will belong to them. Then a change in their aura can be found. At certain places in their aura, somewhat darker circles will be found. The more a person develops, the more these dark places which look like wheels will be transformed. And when we begin to make such sentences our own in solitary reflection, then these wheels begin to turn. 
These are the wheels spoken of in the writings of the Indians and representatives of ancient religions. These are chakras. And when they begin to rotate, then higher knowledge begins. Number 12, quote, For within you is the light of the world, the only light that illuminates your path. If you are unable to perceive it within you, it is useless to look for it elsewhere. It is beyond you, because when you reach it, you have lost yourself. It is unattainable, because it forever recedes. You may enter the light, but you will never touch the flame. Close quote. And that is the end of Lecture 4 and the end of Part 1 of Esoteric Lessons.